You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so for the third week in a row, this is our third, third week in our new uh, facility here. So I just want to start by again saying, Stonegate, welcome home. Well, welcome home. And it's okay to clap for that. Uh, it's okay to do that. I'm still pretty excited about that. So it's okay if you're still excited about that. So, so welcome home. God has given us this place, um, and it's a place to call home. It's a place to put down roots. This is what he's given us this place for. And over the last couple of weeks, we have kind of worked through that big biblical theme of home. The first week, we talked about the longing for home. That's a deep, primal longing in the human heart. Last week, we talked about some of the pitfalls uh, of a place of home. And today, we are taking a, a kind of a step forward in all that. We're starting a new set of sermons today called Disciple. Disciple. We're going to spend, it's really going to take us through the rest of the year. We're going to kind of think through these sort of themes in the scriptures. And but one of the reasons that we wanted to do this is because I think it helps, it helps um, frame out the rest of how we need to think about this place. And let me just tease it by saying this, Stonegate, that this isn't just a home. It is a home, but it's not just a home. And that's what I want to work out with you this morning is, is that idea that it's not just a home for us. It's more than that. And to see that, let's start in Genesis chapter 1. If you take Genesis 1 and 2 as a whole, uh, here is what you find in these opening chapters of the scriptures. It's the story of God constructing a home. God is making a home. And it's a home where people just like you and me, so it's a place where people just like you and me can flourish as human beings, becoming all that God's created us to be. That's Genesis 1 and 2. So the Bible starts with these words in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Genesis 1-1 is groundbreaking. It is it is the start of construction. God is making this beautiful universe with stars and comets and all sorts of creatures in it. It's an amazing universe, isn't it? I mean, if you just have eyes to see all that God has made, it's amazing. But the, the point of Genesis 1 and 2 aren't just about the beauty of what God has made. The, the point of Genesis 1 and 2, that the, the primary point is that God is preparing a place for his people. That's the point. This is, what, this is what the narrative is trying to show us, is that God is making a place. God didn't just create a universe. He, he also created this one particular planet called Earth that, that would be habitable for people like you and me. And then he created one place on that planet, and he made it a garden. He made it a home for his people that would be habitable, that would be a hospitable home for them, a place where they could flourish as human beings. So Genesis 1, it's this flurry of activity. You've got day one, God doing something. Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. God is doing things. He, he's creating a place. In a lot of ways, God is displaying his hospitality, his ability to make a home. This is what you see displayed in God. God is taking this untamed and chaotic world, and he's taming it. He's making it into a home for us. I love what one author says about Genesis 1 and 2. He says, the creation stories of Genesis 1 and 2 show our first improbable gift of grace. Our first gift from God, and here it is, divine hospitality. God has made a home. He has thrown open the doors, and he, sa he said to us, his people, welcome, you know, welcome home. C come on in and enjoy it. This is what we have in Genesis 1 and 2. But that's not where the story stops, that the story keeps going. After the welcome home, God records, or the Bible records God's first words to his people. 
This is the first time God actually speaks to his people, and it's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Now, we need to hear this right on the heels of God saying to his people, I've made a place for you. It's going to be this beautiful home. Come on in and enjoy it. Now he says this, Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them. He welcomed them in. Here's your home. Threw, threw open the doors, welcomed them in, and then said, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now don't miss what's happening. See it in that larger story of God making a home. So, so God, in the first part of Genesis 1, he gifts our first parents a place. Then in Genesis 1:28, he gives them a purpose. Not just a place, but he also gives them purpose. He made for them a home, and then he hands them a mission. This is what you're seeing in the full narrative of Genesis chapter 1. Not just a home, he also hands them a mission. So here's the recap of that in Genesis 1:28. He says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue it. So in other words, God is saying, your life should not terminate in this place. This should not be the end of your life right here. It shouldn't terminate right here. Rather, your life is to be launched from this place. That, that, that's what this place is for. That's what this home is for. That, this place, this garden, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it is a home, but it's not just a home. It's a home that is also a base for mission. It's a home for you, for you to come in and be refreshed and encouraged and refilled in this home, but it's also a base for mission from which you're going to move your life out into the world, right? To subdue it, to, to multiply, to, to bring about the beauty that I've embedded into it. This is what God is saying to our first parents in Genesis 1:28. Now, that provides a framework then for us to be able to see this home for our church, or if you want to apply it more individually, for you to see your home. Like wherever you live, this is the way you ought to see your home. Is it a home? Yes, it's a home. And we, church, have a beautiful home, don't we? God has been so gracious to us in this home. But it's not just a home. It's also a base for mission. It's a place from which we get to move out into the world so that we can bless our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our city. That that's what this place is. It's not just a home, it's also a base for mission. In a lot of ways, I think today, I, I would want us all to hear from God. God. God's saying this to us. Stonegate, I haven't just given you a place to enjoy, I've given you a mission to embrace. That that's what this home is for. Yes, enjoy the home, but, but even more, enjoy and embrace the mission that I've given you. Now, to see the mission, we need to go to, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. So, so flip over there, really briefly here, flip over to Matthew 28, and I want you to ha just have that out and open on your lap. I want you to be able to follow along with us. And it, it's interesting, these are some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. And in a lot of ways, they're the New Testament equivalent to God's first words to his people. That they're taking Genesis 1.28 and clarifying and giving shape to those so that we as his church know what it is that God wants us to do. So that we as his church will know that the mission that he sent us on, that the purpose that he's given us as a church, that's what Jesus is trying to clarify with some of his last words. He's trying to clarify that the church, this is not just a place for you to enjoy. This, this is a, a purpose now for you to embrace. That that's what this place is about. So here it is, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make 
disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, it's not easy to pick up in English, uh, but there is one driving verb. There's one main imperative, one main command. There's, there's a lot of supporting participles. This is what makes it uh, kind of hard to see the main thing. There's a lot of supporting participles in this passage that give shape to and explain and clarify the main verb, but there's one main imperative, one main command, and here's the command. The command is to make disciples. That's the one driving command, to make disciples. Jesus is saying, church, this is, this is the mission I want you to embrace. This is the thing that I want you to be about. This is the big E on the I chart. This is like the thing, church, that you're to be about doing. This is, this is, the, this is the deal for you, church. M- make disciples. Sometimes people ask me, um, okay, so I know that you're at Stonegate. Well, like, what do y'all do? Like, what, what's the thing there? And this is what I tell them. Here's the two things we do. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. That's what we do. I think that's a simple summation of what it is that Jesus wants from the church. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. We enjoy Jesus. This is what a disciple does, right? That they enjoy Jesus. It's it's Jesus' invitation to come all the way in and get all of him. We get to enjoy Jesus. But then we don't stop there. We, we keep going all the way through that, and we enjoy Jesus, and we make disciples. What we possess, we pass along. What we receive, we work to replicate in the lives of other people. This is what we do. We, we enjoy Jesus, and we make disciples. And, and that just leads us to, to a place of, like, we all just need to say this and admit this and know this. The, the church, if, if, this, if this building is all it is, like, like, if this place is just a home for us to together and enjoy Jesus and do that, and it's not a base for mission from which we get to embrace disciple-making, if all it is is a home, church, this building is a waste. It would be a waste. I agree with C.S. Lewis when he said, if the church is not making disciples, then all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the missions, all the sermons, even the Bible itself— are a waste of time. Like, th- this is what Jesus has called us to do, is to make disciples. Th- this is not just a home. It's a base for mission from which we get to do that. Church, when, it, when, a, when a church, when a particular church becomes an end to itself, like, like we're here for, for us, like when we become an end to ourselves, you just know this about that church. It's about to end. But when a church embraces the mission of God, that church is not on the slow decline down into its death. It, it's in for multiplication. That, that's what we get to embrace when we, do, when we embrace the mission of God to, to make disciples. So, so this is the thing, church. Jesus is clarifying it for us. This is what we do. We make disciples. Now, when I read Matthew 28, I have a couple of questions that instantly just arise in me. Here's one of those questions. So if the call is to make the disciples, like that's what we're to be about doing, um, well, what is a disciple? That's one question that I have when I read that passage. What, what is a disciple? If, if that's what we're called to do, we need to be clear about what that is. What is a disciple? And if you cut it to the core, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, a learner of Jesus. That's That's kind of the most literal way to talk about what a disciple of Jesus is. It's a person who Jesus has come to and said, come and follow me. And that person has said, yes, I'll do that. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. That's 
That's a disciple. It's a person who has been wooed and rescued by Jesus. It's a person who is banking on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to make them right with God. That's a disciple. It's a person who is yielding to God. Like when, when God comes over and says, hey, um, I want you to follow me over there. They say, yes, I'll do that. And then he says, no, I want you to follow me over there now. They say, yes. And then over there, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. It's a person yielded to God. And maybe this is a simple summation. It's up on the screen for you. This is a simple summation of a disciple. A disciple is someone who is becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. A disciple is someone who is becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. That's a disciple. Someone who's, who's banking on and yielding on Jesus. Someone who is, who is becoming more and more and more like Jesus in every area of their life. And they're doing all that through the power of the Spirit. That last phrase is really important. It's through the power of the Spirit. I, I love how one pastor has said it. He said, the only way for a Christian to become more like Christ is by the power of the same Holy Spirit who empowered the life of Christ. Like our only hope for actually living like Jesus is for the Spirit of God to be at work in us, creating in us all that's necessary, the capacity to actually look more and more like Christ, to become more and more like Jesus in, in all of life. This is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who is becoming more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. So that's one question I have is what, what is a disciple? Another question I have when I read Matthew 28 is, well, how do you do that? Like, how do, you, how do we actually make disciples? What, 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 what's the journey of, of doing that? How do we do that? Now, this passage doesn't tell us everything we might want to know about how to make a disciple, but it does tell us the most important things to know. So there's one command, that the primary command is make disciples. And then there's three participles that explain, that clarify, that give shape and substance to the how, that explain the how of that. And I just want to walk through those three participles with you. Here are the three participles that are clarifying how do you make disciples. Here's the first participle, baptizing. You see it in verse 19, baptizing. Verse 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Then what does it say there? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, so this, is, this is giving shape. This is Jesus answering the question, how do you make disciples? Answer, we baptize people. In other words, he's saying, we turn our life in the direction of people who are far from Jesus. We, we befriend people who are far from Jesus. We intertwine our lives with people who are far from Jesus. We love people who are lar uh, far from Jesus. And at some point along the way, we open up our mouth and we invite them to Jesus. We invite them into his body, the church. So, so it's assuming that at some point along the way we are talking about Jesus. We're making those sort of invitations to Jesus and into his body, the, the church, into his bride, the church. And then we're depending on Jesus to do the one thing that he can do. That the only that We're just dependent upon him to do the, the big work of rescuing and saving. To take a spiritually dead and unresponsive heart, to breathe life into that heart. Where for the first time they, they cry out, yes, to Jesus. That's what we're dependent upon Jesus to do. So, so we're doing our work. Jesus is doing his work. And then when Jesus does his work and rescues someone, they take that first step of obedience and they're baptized. We get the chance to baptize them. Uh, baptism is that initial sort of identification with Jesus. It, it's that point where a person who has recently met Jesus, recently been rescued by Jesus, gets to say in front of people publicly, Jesus is mine and I am his. That, that's baptism. 
So, so Jesus says the first thing that if we want to know the how of disciple making, that the first piece of that is we get our life directed at people, intertwined with people who are far from Jesus, that they meet Jesus, and we get the joy of baptizing them. That that's step one of disciple making. Now, let me just take a quick pause here and linger over that for a moment, because for some of us in the room, we have met Jesus, but we've never been baptized. So, so we've said yes to Jesus, but we've never had that sort of like public identification with Jesus where we say, I'm his and he's mine. We, we've never done that. And if that's you, we just, baptism is a gospel celebration. We get to celebrate God's good work in you and among us as a church family. So if that's you and you've, you've, you've publicly, or you, you know, privately said, yes, I'm in with Jesus, but you haven't had that public moment, we would love to celebrate that with you. We would love to do that. So I'm going to put an email address up on the screen. And if that's you, privately, I'm a yes to Jesus, but you just haven't had that public moment we would love to follow up with you. We'd love to kind of get on the journey of, of, of doing that with you. So if you'll email baptism at stonegate.church, we'll follow up with you. And we would love to get a time on the books here soon where we get to celebrate that with you. So this is Jesus' first how. First participle. He's saying, here's, let me give definition to the how do you do that. First step is you baptize them. Baptizing. But then he goes on. He says, here's, here's the next participle. Here's the next thing you need to do. And the next thing is teaching. You see this in verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here comes verse 20. Teaching them. That's their second participle. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So again, Jesus is clarifying the how of disciple making. And the how is we teach. We teach. We take what we know and we weave that into another human being, like into another human heart. Like we, we invest, we, we pour our life out into another person to help them become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. I, like we're, we're teaching. Now here's, here's my only uh, sort of hesitancy when I say the word teaching, is I think we instantly think teacher in a classroom, but that would be the wrong way to think about disciple making. There are moments where, like, formal things have to be taught, but that's not the primary metaphor. The, the problem with that is that that is a really Western way of thinking about disciple-making. We just get a bunch of people in a class, and we give them a few lectures, and, and then we're good to go. We've made it, that's not making disciples. That, that is giving information, but that's not making disciples. But rather than thinking teacher-classroom, think parent-child. Think parenting. If you want a metaphor for disciple-making, that's your metaphor. It's parenting. Now think about all that's involved in parenting. That is a labor of love, isn't it? That is hard work, isn't it? I mean, think about all that's involved. Parenting is highly relational. So think about how parenting happens. It, it's done in the context of deep, ongoing, continuous relationship. So think about how someone learns in a home. Think about how a child learns in a home. Think about how they learn about Jesus in a home. They're watching their parents, and they're seeing how do their parents relate to God. Like, what does it look like to relate to God? They're, they're seeing the model in mom and dad. So, so they're looking at a model, and then they start to imitate the model. They just start to do what their parents do. So they pray like their parents pray. They read or don't read the Bible like their parents read or don't read. But they're just doing what they see done. And then the Holy Spirit blows into the, the kid's heart, and eventually they own that. So, so they see a model, they imitate it, and then 
over time, through the work of the Spirit in them, they own that. It's a, it's a highly relational thing, isn't it? Parenting is that. It's highly relational. It's time intensive. It's 18 years of time every day, every night. Every, it, it's a time intensive. Parents instruct. Now think about how, how most of the instruction happens in a home. It's not through like formal education. There is some of that, and there should be some of that in every home. But most of what kids learn in a home is caught, not taught. They're just picking it up based on what they see happening in their home. So parents aren't, they instruct, parents correct. They say, not that, but this. This is not good, this is good, right? Parents instruct. And parents do all of that with a ton of encouragement, right? This is parenting. Now that's, that's the metaphor for disciple making. Now, okay, to see that, think about the life of Jesus for a moment. Think about what you know of how Jesus made disciples in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. How, how did he do that? Well, he did it in a way that most of us would not choose to do it. He, he didn't um, try to gather a huge crowd around him. Most of the time, when a large crowd would try to gather around Jesus, he would, he would walk away from the crowd. His, his, his strategy was not, let me get as many people as I can get in front of me, and let me tell them everything I want them to know. That was not his strategy. His, his, his uh, kind of... Uh, M.O. in the New Testament is not, uh, let me do the next big event. If I can just like do nine big events this year, I'll, I'll like have the disciples made that I want. That was not a strategy, was it? He, he went the route that virtually no one would go on their own. It, it, it's counterintuitive. It's not the way that we would naturally think. Here's the way he did it. He took 12 men. And, and these guys, if you just lined up all the guys that he could have chosen from, these were not your first round draft picks. They weren't, the, they, they weren't those people. They were rough. They were uneducated. They were not in like the powerful, prestigious positions in, in, in first century world. They were not that. He gets 12 unassuming men. And then within that, he pulls out three of them for deeper investment. So he has his 12. And then out of that 12, he pulls three in deeper. And he, he takes his heart and he pours it into those 12 men over the course of three years. Nobody even knew the names of these men. They weren't popular men. Nobody even could see what he was doing. It was so unassuming. It was so under the radar. He just takes his life and he replicates it into the lives of these 12 men. And the world has never been the same since. Not a huge event. Not a mass crusade. Just Give me 12 men, and I'm going to replicate my life in them, and I'm going to see that multiplied, and you give that about 100 years, and it's like taking over the world. That was his strategy. And Jesus now is looking at us, and when he says, make disciples, here's what he's saying. Would you just kind of like look at what I did? Just, just go back and, and read that, look at what I did, and then just do that. Just like take a few people and replicate, just pour out your life into them, your heart into them, and then just watch that multiply. You, you make disciples like that, and then they're going to make disciples like that, and then they're going to make disciples like that, and the sort of upside-down world that God has done through that is going to continue. He's just saying, make disciples like, like I have made disciples. That's what it means to teach. It's, it's pouring your heart and life into a group of people over an extended period of time to, to make disciples. That's how. He says, baptize them. Then he says, teach them. And then here's the third participle. He says, Go. That's the third sort of clarifying piece. He says, go. You see it in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, most of the time when I hear this passage taught, 
it is rightly um, said, they, they rightly give the sense of that word go. And the sense of that word is, as you are going, make disciples. It's just taking into account we all live varied lives. All of our lives look differently. We're, the demands on our life, all those things are so different across the room. So, so it, that is right to say, Jesus is saying, as you go, whatever your life looks like, whatever you're doing in your life, as you go, make disciples. That this, is, this is the thing that you should be doing as you're living your life. You're, you're making disciples as you go. So that is a right thing to say. That is the sense of the word. It's as you're going. But if you leave it at that, I think you're missing something really important about that word. And, and part of what that explanation of the word go is missing is the force of that word go. The, the word go is carrying the force of make disciples. Let me put it in an illustration for you. If, uh, if, if you could picture tomorrow morning I leave the house and Laura, my wife, looks at me right as I'm leaving and says, um, hey, Rodney, as you're going today, uh, will, you, will you grab some bread? As you're going, grab it. Um, now, what is she communicating there? She's communicating that obviously you have a lot of things going on in your life. Um, there, there's a lot of, of things that are probably more important than, than getting bread. Um, but if you could just like squeeze in this sort of like bread grabbing moment today at some point, that would be awesome. So could you get about doing that at some point today? That's, that's the sort of sense or force of as you are going. Now, what if she said it this way? What if tomorrow morning, rather than saying, hey, as you're going, grab some bread, she says, um, Rodney, today, go. Like, I'm talking like today, go, and today you need to make sure you grab some bread. That's a different way of saying it, isn't it? I, like, that's carrying a different force. Like, when she says it that way, she's saying, hey, I know you might think you have a lot of important things going today, but in reality, there is nothing more important today than grabbing bread. You, you may, whatever you have to do to reorganize your life, you need to reorganize it around this central thing today. Bring bread home. That's the organizing principle of your life today. Now, that is the force of that word go. In this word go, Jesus is saying, whatever else you think you have going today, like when you just kind of like list all the important things you're about today, you need to make sure the organizing principle of your day is go and make disciples. That, that's like the thing. That's the big E on the I chart. This is, this is the point Jesus is making. Is like this is the grid through which you need to see your entire life. Like this is what you're here to do is to make disciples. I can join Jesus and make disciples. That's that's the big thing. This is like the thing. It's, it's the mission. It's the purpose. This is why God has you breathing right now. It's, it's to do that. Enjoy Jesus and make disciples. It is the organizing grid, the organizing principle through which we're to see our life. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. Now, uh, let me just point out one thing. There are oftentimes footnotes in our Bibles. So uh, you might just look down at, at your text in Matthew 28 there and see if you've got any footnotes there. If you have an ESV study Bible, you're probably going to have a few of them. Or if you have any sort of a study Bible, you're probably going to have a few of them. And footnotes can be really helpful. They can help us explain, you know, kind of help us get a sense of a passage. They can explain something confusing in it. That they can do a lot of things that will really help us. And I want you just to look down and, and notice and just see if you uh, can see a footnote that says... Uh, Hey, what Jesus really meant is this really just applies to a few of his disciples. Just, is that footnote down there? No, no, that footnote's not there, is it? Okay, check it. Look at it down there one more time. Do you see down there in the footnotes that 
that little footnote that says, actually, uh, Jesus really means just leave this like to a few ministry professionals and, and the rest of us just don't have to do, like, we're good on the disciple making thing. That footnote's not there, is it? I, if you look at those footnotes, uh, do you see one that says, I know Jesus said to make disciples, like every disciple of his, make, a disciple, like, make disciples, but, but he really didn't mean every one of his disciples. That footnote isn't there, is it? No, it's not. It's, I, Jesus is saying like every one of his disciples, he's looking at and saying, we need to figure out what it looks like to make disciples. Like every disciple, m- make disciples, not just a few not, not just the, these people over here, but like everyone who says, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian. I, I, God is mine and I am his. Jesus is saying, okay, if that's you, here's the goal then. Here's the job. Let's get about making disciples. It's for every one of us in the room. If you're, if you're a disciple, the, the, the goal now, the job now is to make disciples. Now, I just want to take a, a minute or two to apply this. When, when I read through this, it, it makes me want to, and as I think, it just makes me ask a couple of questions. Here's one of them. I think one question that we need to ask and answer is, am I a disciple? A- am I? A- am I a disciple of Jesus? I, part, of, part of what this, what is being brought to this passage is the assumption that Jesus is talking to a disciple right? That's part of the assumption. He's talking to disciples, so there's an assumption when we read that that we are a disciple, but we shouldn't assume that. We, we should ask about that. We should question that. Have I been rescued by Jesus? Ha- have I turned from my sin and thrown my life on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Am I banking on Jesus to make me right with God? Am, am I yielded to Jesus? Right? Like, are we a disciple? We shouldn't assume that. We should ask about that. We, we should question that. We, we should consider that. A- am I a disciple? And here's the great news of this passage. P- part of when Jesus says make disciples, p- part of what is in there is an invitation. If you're not a disciple, Jesus stands arms wide open this morning looking at you saying, well, welcome home. You're invited in. I'd love for you to get in on this. I stand here ready and willing to rescue and save you today. Am I a disciple? Now, here's the second question, though. Am I a disciple? For those who your answer is yes to that, it it brings about this question. Well, as a disciple, am I making disciples? Like, am I actually doing that? I mean, just take a moment to think through your life. Are you making disciples? Are you living with a big, huge, go, make disciples? Like, is it the organizing principle? Is it the grid through which you see your life? I, I was talking to a, a crew of people that I meet with regularly on Friday mornings, and uh, this last Friday, I just threw out the question of, like, why is it that so many of us know this verse? Like, for many of us in the room, it's not a new thing. It's, the Great Commission is kind of out there. Uh, we know this, but we just, we just don't do it. Like, we just, we just, like, ignore this thing and just get about our life. Like, wh- why is that? And, gosh, I think there's so much you could say about that. Uh, that could be a sermon in and of itself one day. But I think if you cut it down to the core, what keeps most of us from, like, living in this and, and like, actually making disciples is just this. Disciple-making is costly. It is hard. It, it is difficult. It costs time. It costs energy. It, it costs comfort. It sets you up for disappointments. It sets you up for betrayals. It makes you keep your heart open to Jesus and open to people, right? It, it just, 
Disciple making doesn't happen without blood, sweat, and tears. Saying yes to disciple making is simultaneously saying yes to suffering. That, that's the cost of disciple making. And so part, part of what I just hope we can hear from God today is just, I hope you can hear the Spirit of God just whispering this to you today. It's worth it. As much as it's going to cost you, all the suffering you're going to be signed up for, that disciple-making is actually worth it. it. It's worth the blood, sweat, and tears to see it happen. It's, it's worth it. Something I say to our staff all the time, just as a reminder of this idea. I, I try to say this all the time to them. I'll look at them and just say, um, think about your life. You have nothing better to do than make disciples. Like, I don't know what else you think you have going on, but you have, you have nothing better to do with your life than to make disciples. Now, here's the thing. This is why I need to hear that, why I need to say that to myself a lot. There's a lot of things that I think I, I have to do that, that's not making disciples, right? There, there's a lot of things that feel better to me than making disciples. It feels better to me that, to veg in front of the TV than make disciples, Virtually every time that feels better. If I have to get up at like 5.30 in the morning to make disciples, sleep feels better every time. Better every time than making disciples. There's a lot of things that feel better than making disciples. But part of what I try to do is listen to the 70-year-old version of me talk to the 39-year-old version of me. And you know what the 70-year-old version of me always says to me? You have nothing better to do than make disciples. There's nothing you could give your life to. There's nothing you could do with your life that is better and more fruitful than making disciples. And this is where I think we all have some sort of resistance that comes up in us. I don't know what yours is. You, you should listen to that voice in you that, like, is saying to you right now, there's no way I'm doing that. Because that voice is in us. Like, there's that opposition that sort of arises. I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because of that. But, but I don't know enough to make a disciple. You know what I love about adults is adults are need-to-know learners. And the moment, like, if you walked out of here today with a fresh commitment to say, I am good, whatever else I do with my life, I'm going to figure out how to start making some disciples. If you walked out of here with that sort of a fresh commitment today, do you know what you would figure out really quickly? You'd figure out how to make a disciple. And then you'd start, and in a year from now, you'd be better than you are today. And in five years from now, you'd be even better than that. And 10 years from now, you'd actually probably be really good at it, Right? We're need-to-know learners, and as soon as we say, this is what I'm about to do with my life, we're going to get in equipping lanes, and we're going to help figure out, and we're going to start figuring out, well, how would I actually do that? So, so we need to ask ourselves the question, are we making disciples? And, and what should that look like in your life? What should that look like in my life? Here's the thing. Our lives are too varied. There's the, the, occupationally, they're too varied. The demands on our life are too varied. The seasons of life are too varied to give any sort of a cookie-cutter answer to that. What should it look like in your life? What should it look like in mine? It, it, the, the seasons are too varied to do that. But we all need an individual answer to that. We all should be able to say, this is what it does look like in my life. If you're married, there's your first layer of disciple making. If you're a husband, God has called you to be the pastor of your home. So there's your first layer of disciple making. If you have kids, there's your first layer of disciple making. Then there's another one. It's like we have to figure out what it looks like to make good disciples in the context of our family. And then, generally speaking, I think we would just, we would hope that everyone at Stonegate embraces this call and looks horizontally across our church and is just always asking, who are the two or three people that I want to invest my life into, that I just want to pour my heart and life into, so, so that they, and just to, to be a help for, for them to become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. 
Who are those two to three people? Who, is, who are the, the crew of people? Those, maybe they're far from God right now. Maybe they're some Christians who are trying to grow up in their walk with God right now. But who are those people right now? Who is that crew that I'm looking at and saying, man, I'm going to pour, I'm going to do the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears to, to pour my heart and life into them so they can become more like Jesus? Who is that crew? We would hope that everyone in our church family has someone that they're saying, that's my crew. Those are the people right now. So this is disciple making. Am I a disciple? Am I making disciples? Let me, let me finish with this. The command in this verse is to make disciples. But Jesus doesn't just leave us with a command. He also gives us some confidence. And let me show you two statements in this passage that are confidence-creating statements. You, you see one on the, the front side of the command to make disciples and one on the back side of the command to make disciples. Here's the front side. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is reminding us of that. That I kind of own this thing. I kind of rule this thing. And, and I'm the one telling you now to make disciples. That then the backside of the command. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't just give us a command. He gives us two promises. And here are the promises. As we get about this disciple-making work, He's promising that his power and his presence will be with us. But both his power and his presence. And is there anything we need more than the power and presence of God? Is there anything we need more than that? When you start trying to make disciples, here is one of the things you are going to quickly become reacquainted with. How dependent you are upon Jesus. You just, you just try to start making disciples, and you're going to see how little control you have over that. You're going to start seeing how much, how, how much in need you are of the power of God to be at work in this moment. Disciple-making will reacquaint you to your helplessness and to Jesus' helpfulness. It's going to reacquaint you to that. It's going to reacquaint you that we have a God and, and to a God that loves to give help, that, that loves to lend his power to those who are saying, man, more than anything else in the world, I want to make disciples. You're going to get to see the power of God at work in your life, then the presence of God. I wonder if you are currently experiencing the life-giving, joy-producing presence of God in your life. Just think about your life right now. Are you experiencing that? That, that sort of joy-creating, life-giving presence of God. One of the reasons we don't experience it is because we're just stiff-arming this particular command. We're just saying no to making disciples. And if we say no to making disciples, we are saying no to the experience of God's power and presence in our life. Uh, let me end with this story. One, one of my favorite pastors, his dad was a uh, traveling evangelist. And uh, so he would just go around to small churches trying to point people to Jesus and trying to help people meet Jesus and grow up in Jesus. And one of the things that he would oftentimes say about his dad is that his dad was the happiest man he had ever known. Just think about that. What a wonderful thing to be said about you. The happiest, my dad is the happiest guy I have ever known. That, that's a wonderful thing. Like, in other words, he's saying that the life-giving, joy-producing presence of God is just vibrant and rich in his soul. He's the happiest man I've ever known. And, uh, you know, as a traveling evangelist, they didn't have much. 
They're always stressing out over making ends meet, all that. But there was this unshakable joy underneath his dad. And, and so one time, this pastor guy asked his dad, traveling evangelist guy, asked his dad, what, if you could just condense it down to, to, to one thing, what, what would you say is the key to a lifetime of happiness? Like a, a key to like the ongoing experience of the power and presence of God in your life. Like what is the one thing that you could say that would like point us in the direction of that? Without hesitation, without even a pause, he looked back at his son and said, here's the thing, just start telling people about Jesus. Or we could say it this way this morning, just start making disciples. Like, like get your life intertwined with people to help to help them become more like Jesus in all of life through the power of the Spirit. And you know what's going to miraculously start happening? You're going to experience more of the power and presence of God in your life. So Stonegate, could, could we embrace that? Could, could we get about that? If all this place is, is a home, we are wasting this place. Because this place is never meant to be just a home. It's meant to be a home plus a base for mission, a place for us to move out into the world to make disciples. So, so may we be a people leveraging our life for what will last, what will matter in the end, making disciples. Amen? Let's pray together. I want to give you a chance there where you are to respond to Jesus this morning, for the Lord to press into you what would be most helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. <coughs> and for some of us this morning, our first step of, our first sort of step of obedience, our, step, our first step toward Jesus is saying, I, I want to be a disciple. God, I'm in with you. I'm turning from my sin. I'm throwing my life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Here I am, God. I, I am yours. I'm yours. God stands ready this morning to rescue, to redeem, to save. And if that's you, you can just there where you are, express your heart up to God. And for the rest of us, disciples make disciples. So today is an invitation for us to consider, for us to work that out, for us to answer the question, what, what is that going to look like in my life? How, how is that going to look? Who's, who's my crew? Who, who am I going to take my heart and life and just pour it in for Jesus' sake into another heart? Father, would you give us clarity today? Would you give us a sense of what that should be and, and could be? And God, would you give us the courage to count the cost and to obey, to say yes? And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.